ओसतो मद्गमय तमसो ज्योतिर्गमय मृत्योर्मामृतंगमय ओ शांति 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 Lead us from the unreal to the real. Lead us from darkness to light. Lead us from death to immortality. Om peace 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 be unto us. Peace be unto all. Friends the subject for today's service is the struggle for inner life vedanta teaches that we are essentially divine we are not just this body mind complex but there is a third and the most important dimension of our personality which is divinity we are all divine but this divinity is potential in us we are trying to manifest it in our everyday life and until it is fully manifest we remain attached to the body attached to the mind so manifestation of this potential divinity in our thoughts in our actions knowing our true nature as divine this is the goal of human life and our scriptures and those who have realized the truth they have been unanimous in saying that human birth attains its fulfillment only when this struggle for manifestation of this divinity is found in that life when the struggle doesn't take place the struggle for manifestation human birth does not become meaningful so this is the lofty goal that has been placed before all of us all of us all humanity by our scriptures by those great souls who have realized the truth so this is the goal of life and our upanishads teaches that this divinity is to be meditated upon as dwelling in the heart shri krishna says in the gita god dwells in the hearts of all beings and make them move around as if mounted on a machine the katopanishad has this important passage the purusha is the inner self he always dwells in the hearts of all beings one should separate him from the body with steadiness and discrimination as one separates the tender stalk from a blade of grass let him know that self as the bright as the immortal that is from the katopanishad i'll repeat this the purusha is the inner self 
Purusha is the terminology from Sankhya philosophy for the spirit. So the Purusha is the inner self. He always dwells in the hearts of all beings. One should separate him from the body with steadiness and discrimination as one separates the tender stalk from a blade of grass. Let him know that self as the bright, as the immortal. Sri Shankaracharya comments on this important passage and explains what are these different terms. One should separate this Purusha, separate him. That means this Atman, this divine nature of ours behind the body, behind the mind, can be separated from both body and mind. That means we, we the Atman, can separate ourselves from the body, from the mind, by means of spiritual disciplines like discrimination, detachment and self-control. And the separation has to take place with steadiness and discrimination. Infinite patience and perseverance are required for the attainment of self-knowledge and inadvertence and sloth are the two greatest enemies in our struggle in this attainment. Inadvertence, that means carelessness, absent-mindedness, all this, that and sloth, a lazy disposition, these two are enemies toward its attainment. Stark, the Upanishad says, one should separate him from the body with steadiness and discrimination as one separates the tender stalk from a blade of grass. The tender shoot lies hidden in a blade of grass. One needs a steady hand and a well-controlled mind to separate the one from the other. So this Atman can be known, promises the Upanishad. Atman is the term Vedanta uses to denote our true nature, divine nature. We are divine and also what appears to be outside this world, this universe, that's also divine. In fact, there is only one divinity. But when we refer to the divinity behind the universe, we use the word Brahman. Brahman means greater than the greatest. And Atman is the word used to denote the divinity behind this human body and mind. So, realization of this Atman, our manifestation of this divinity, which is right now potential in us, that's the goal of human life. Now we said, the struggle for inner life. What does inner life mean? By inner life, we mean spiritual life. And by spiritual life is meant looking upon spirit as fundamental. Vedanta teaches that what exists is one. Oneness of existence. What exists is the spirit, is God is this divinity. It appears to us as this diversity, this universe of names and forms, because of our ignorance. Because of the ignorance that we ourselves are the spirit, we see multiplicity outside. Once we realize that we are divine, we will be beholding nothing but divinity outside. So what exists is one. 
as we said before there are no two divinities infinity cannot be two infinity is one that infinite truth is one it manifests all this it manifests the mind it manifests matter so looking upon spirit as fundamental and matter to be a manifestation or an appearance on the spirit that is the fundamental attitude to take to live a spiritual life unlike looking upon matter as fundamental and trying to explain mind and consciousness in terms of matter so looking upon spirit as fundamental that is spiritual life and trying to live a life or trying to think and act in a way that we are able to manifest the spirit that means when i look upon myself as the spirit as superior to the mind i try not to toe the line of the mind but i try to do what i think will be beneficial to me shri ramakrishna says in this world god alone is true god alone is the substance everything else is inconsequential everything else we find in this world everything else we experience in this world is relatively unreal god alone is real and shri ramakrishna's teachings inspire us with the possibility of god realization in our own humble lives god realization is not some distant possibility for just some elite few but every one of us can aspire to this that hope that inspiration we get from shri ramakrishna's teachings so the spirit is one it appears as matter it appears as the mind and we are fundamentally the spirit we are taught to meditate on god as seated in the heart that's because for us right now the body is real the mind is real so we are taught to look upon god as seated inside so trying to focus our mind on god is what is called inner life when we say inner it's definitely in relation to the body when i say i see things outside of me that means i see things outside of my body when i look upon myself as the body so when we are taught to meditate on god or the atman as dwelling in the heart we try to turn our gaze inward and that is inner life and inner life also means asserting our divine nature all the time against the body against the mind whether the mind is a willing partner in this or the mind keeps on resisting our attempts to assert ourselves and this inner life manifests as steadfastness in spiritual life regularity in prayer and doing work as worship trying to convert our whole life into some kind of a seeking and it also means giving up things which will not help us in the attainment of this goal which will not help us in this inner life that's about inner life spiritual life living a spiritual life means looking upon ourselves as the spirit and trying to let that thought manifest in our actions now where comes the struggle 
we said struggle for inner life struggle for inner life is obvious because this divinity we saw is potential in us we are not conscious all the time that we are divine i am a child of god i am a spark of the divine fire this thought arises in our mind now and then but that we are divine it's not our knowledge right now that we are this body that we are this mind that's very clear so to get that knowledge to get that knowledge to assert ourselves against the body and the mind we need to struggle because the mind is oriented in a different way but before the struggle we need to see the other kind of struggle struggle for existence which we study in science struggle for existence and survival of the fittest these two apply to the animal kingdom but human life is superior to this in human life you find not only struggle for existence but when the struggle for existence is over then begins the struggle for existence of the ego that means trying to assert ourselves against all obstacles or all threats to the survival of the ego trying to ensure that our opinion carries through trying to ensure that what we think is accepted by others trying to carry conviction to others all this is struggle for the existence of the ego and superior to this of course the struggle for existence of the ego is superior to the struggle for mere existence for food clothing and shelter when that's taken care of in human life you have the second struggle struggle for ego and superior to that also is struggle for consciousness struggle for consciousness that i am divine right now i am conscious that i am the body i am the mind i am a bundle of ideas but struggle for this consciousness that i am divine struggle for this identification with this deeper core dimension of our being that is the highest struggle and that highest struggle is possible only for human beings it's the highest it's the most difficult but it can be taken up only by human beings this struggle is not for subhuman beings in that particular plane subhuman beings life is lived in the plane of instincts only in human life can we think about god only in human life is intuition possible only in human life can we struggle for god realization can we struggle for this inner life and realize the truth for ourselves so the struggle for consciousness that we saw is the greatest struggle it's a struggle because the mind is not used to this particular struggle the mind is used to acting in a different way that is its most accepted way that is the path of least resistance the katopanishad says the self existent lord supreme lord inflicted an injury on the sense organs in creating them with outgoing tendencies therefore we perceive only outer objects with them and not the inner self but a person endowed with discrimination desirous of immortality 
turns his eyes inward and beholds the inner self, the Atman. We'll see this again. The Creator, the self-existent Lord, inflicted an injury, as it were, on the sense organs, and of course by implication the mind, by creating them outward. The mind is united with some sense organs, the ears, the skin, the eyes, the tongue and the nose. It's busy with some perception or other, and those organs are busy with some object or other, their respective objects. So that's how they are constituted. The Upanishad says, because of this outgoing tendency of the mind, we perceive only outer objects with them and not the inner self, which is the core of our being. But a person endowed with discrimination, viveka, desirous of immortality, turns his eyes inward and beholds the inner self, the Atman. What does this turning the eyes inward mean? It doesn't mean sitting with eyes closed. We immediately perceive the Atman. Turning the eyes inward, by implication, refers to turning all the other four senses also inward. It won't do to give the senses a free reign and also at the same time hope to internalize the mind. So turning the senses inward, turning the ears, the skin, the eyes, the tongue and the nose, turning them inward toward God, weaning them away from their objects and turning them inward. That is what is meant. And this turning the mind inward, a mind that is given to outward activity, turning it inward, that's the greatest challenge. That's the most difficult. Sri Shankaracharya, while commenting on this important verse from the Katopanishad, compares the task of internalizing the mind to reversing the course of a river and turning it back to its source. That's how difficult it is. A river flowing from a mountain, flowing in the plains, a very swift river, arresting the course of that river and turning it back to the source. That's how difficult turning the mind back to its source, which is God, which is our divine nature. That's how difficult it is. But that difficulty need not deter us from attempting it, from struggling for this. Because, as we saw before, this struggle is possible only for human beings. And the more we are able to manifest the struggle in our lives, the more are the chances for our life to lead us to fulfillment and not frustration. Suppose we let the mind pursue its outward journey, unbridled pursuit of senses and their objects. We'll find out sooner or later that life is leading us to frustration and there is no chance of fulfillment despite prosperity, wealth, name, fame, power, possessions. Unless we learn to possess our own mind, unless we train our mind and give it a different turn. So this goal of manifestation of divinity involves struggle.
struggle against the outward directed course of the mind struggle to give the mind an inward turn swami vivekananda says in his wonderful definition of religion you find this as an introduction to his lectures on raja yoga each soul is potentially divine the goal is to manifest this divinity within by controlling nature external and internal controlling our internal nature internal nature means controlling the nature of our mind controlling our tendencies controlling our samskaras controlling our mindset that will help us in the manifestation of the divinity that we already are so each soul is potentially divine the goal is to manifest this divinity within by controlling nature external and internal external nature control of external nature that's the domain of science a scientist who is busy with some research does not bow down to nature does not remain a slave to nature if that were so all the fruits of technology that we take for granted today won't have come to us swami vivekananda says nature says go and live in forest man says no i'll build a house for myself and then live in it nature says live in darkness man says no i'll invent electric lamps electric bulbs and live during night also in the same daylight all that has become possible because of struggle against external nature by scientists some scientists struggle and just at the flick of a switch we get light we get so many other things so control of external nature struggle against external nature is especially in the domain of science but it's equally applicable for spiritual seekers too not letting the environment affect our will power to assert ourselves but trying to do what we think is beneficial to us whether circumstances are favorable or not but more important is internal nature by controlling nature external and internal internal nature is our predisposition our tendencies our mindset each one of us faces an identical situation in different ways it's accounted for by the differences in our mindset in our impressions what we say our background our education everything everything is embedded in those impressions which we have gathered from our thoughts from our actions so trying to control this nature controlling this inner nature that is the greatest challenge and that indicates the struggle for inner life so swami vivekananda says the goal is to manifest this divinity within by controlling nature internal and external and then he continues by work or worship or psychic control or philosophy karma yoga bhakti yoga raja yoga or gnana yoga by one or more or all of these 
and be free this is the whole of religion so that's that's a great definition that swami vivekananda gave about religion but what concerns us now is the struggle for inner life struggle against our inner nature so with this background about what is inner life and what is the struggle about we'll discuss some disciplines which are described in the scriptures that will help us in our struggle for inner life our scriptures are very clear in emphasizing the need for a strong moral life before we begin to think of spiritual life a firm grounding in moral life ensures that we are able to struggle steadfastly for the manifestation of this divine nature no one who is not firmly grounded in this morality can ever aspire to see the light teaches the katopanishad the katopanishad says he who has not first turned away from wickedness who is not tranquil and subdued and whose mind is not at peace cannot attain the atman it is realized only through the knowledge of reality so now we'll study some disciplines from patanjali's yoga sutras which will help us in the struggle for inner life these qualities help us gain our ground in morality they also help us in strengthening our spiritual life the first quality is non-violence non-violence in thought word and deed it's not only important not to do harm physically it's equally important to not intend harming others so in mind words and deeds non-violence needs to be practiced and non-violence becomes a virtue if it is practiced from the point of view of strength if it is a virtue born of strength non-violence cannot be a virtue if you are weak swami vivekananda makes it very clear non-violence becomes a virtue if we have the capacity to strike and don't i don't have the capacity to strike yet i try to make a virtue of this necessity of this weakness and think i am practicing non-violence that is not non-violence it is just being tamasic not having the strength even to say no where a no is required to make someone understand that something is not acceptable lacking that strength and thinking at the same time i am practicing non-violence suppose i tell him or her what will she think i'll be unnecessarily hurting her we think we are practicing non-violence but swami vivekananda says you have the capacity to strike straight from your shoulders but refrain from it that is non-violence so non-violence is a great virtue not harming others by thought word or deed next virtue is truthfulness truthfulness again in thought word and deed it's not enough 
just to speak the truth but also we need to think true we need to ensure that our thoughts words and deed are in alignment shri ramakrishna would say don't be a traitor in your thought don't think something and do something else and there is a beautiful sanskrit verse which describes how to be truthful it says speak the truth speak what is pleasant that means first speak the truth speak what is pleasant don't speak an unpleasant truth that is the third requirement we may know so many things we would have heard about things about people granted that we are not nosy we have come to know about something it's not imperative that we share it with everyone for the benefit of humanity it's nothing short of gossip especially if it is an unpleasant truth don't go about telling others even the person concerned if you really don't have anything to lose you don't need to tell him so first is speak the truth speak what is pleasant don't speak an unpleasant truth that is the third requirement and the fourth is don't speak an untruth just to make it pleasant so that is truthfulness shri ramakrishna says in this modern age truthfulness is the main austerity those who hold fast to truth teach shri ramakrishna are lying as it were in the lap of god so he insisted that this truthfulness is a very important discipline to be practiced next is non stealing here again not only the physical non stealing is meant but also its subtle implications and non stealing need not necessarily mean not stealing something physical from others it also includes not stealing others time others energy by our intrusion others anything others time and energy that says it all because some people who lack discrimination who lack proper upbringing can inflict themselves on others without knowing if the other person is prepared for it is willing so non stealing covers all that not stealing others wealth not stealing others time others energy by your intrusion because a spiritual seeker who is serious about the inner struggle needs to take these important disciplines seriously next is continence continence is conservation of our energy physical energy mainly sexual energy because the law of conservation of energy which holds good in physical science is equally applicable with regard to our mind with regard to spiritual life energy can neither be created nor can it be destroyed it can only be transformed from one form to another physical conservation of energy same thing with our mental energy if we don't conserve our mental energy if we let our physical and mental energy drain through lower channels there is hardly any left for us to struggle for its manifestation in higher channels
Sri Ramakrishna says, a farmer tries to bring water from the river to his field through a channel, channel cut in the field. There are so many rat holes in the channel through which the water runs out. So he succeeds in bringing hardly any water to his field. So these rat holes are our senses, our senses, five senses through which by indiscrimination or by lack of discrimination we can end up draining all our energy with no energy left for manifestation of our divinity, of our higher channel. So that is what is meant here by continence. And next is not being greedy. Not being greedy, not being helplessly dependent on others. And it also means not holding. Not holding things more than what we need. So not being greedy and helpless dependence on others, that's also not right for a spiritual seeker. Helpless dependence on others, when we depend on others, we need to know we don't have independence anymore. That very dependence is the opposite of independence. So spiritual seeker tries to be self-reliant and tries not to be greedy, tries not to hoard things, tries not to depend on others. And then we have some more disciplines. Purity. Purity refers to both external purity and internal purity. External purity, physical purity, and more important is internal purity. Purity of the mind which is also called purity of the heart. What is this purity of mind? As we saw before, the mind is always outward-oriented. To make the mind think of God, to make the mind repeat a divine name, meditate on a divine form, we know how challenging that is. We try to sit quiet, we try to repeat a divine name, for a set number of times, trying to think of divine form. The mind keeps on going here and there, so turbulent. So a challenge during our meditation is to withdraw this mind from wherever it has gone and to settle it on the truth within. That is called in yoga philosophy, pratyahara, withdrawing a dispersed mind. So when we repeat God's name with an alert mind and a prayerful mind, that helps us to minimize the gyrations of the mind. So the mind keeps on going from one thing to another. That's an indication of the purity of our mind. If the mind is pure, it will spontaneously think of nothing other than God. So we have different levels of purity of mind. If the mind is very much attached, attached to outer things, outer people, others, such a mind will make it so difficult for us to sit quiet 
and repeat the name even for 108 times that's a mind that is so turbulent so attached so impure a mind that is full of bad impressions a mind that is full of attachment to things to people can be a great impediment and to the extent that we are able to think of god we are able to repeat the divine name with an alert mind we can say our mind is pure so the purity of mind refers to a mind that thinks of god we study in the gita shri krishna teaching arjuna and through him all of us there is nothing more purifying than knowledge self knowledge nahi jnanena sadrsham pavitram iha vidyate there is nothing more purifying than knowledge and you find from the teachings of shri ramakrishna one needs to repeat the divine name with love with sincerity and that will purify his mind and make his mind oriented toward god we don't need to do anything special all these virtues we discuss we need to be conscious of all these virtues we need to cultivate them as much as possible but the fundamental thing is love for god when we have love for god when we repeat god's name with an alert mind a prayerful mind other undesirable things automatically recede from us shri ramakrishna teaches the more you go toward the east the more the west is left behind when you bring in light darkness automatically vanishes you don't need to do anything special to dispel darkness so we don't need to do anything special to acquire all these qualities one by one we need to think of them we need to consciously cultivate them right but we need to remember that god's name is all powerful god's name is the most purifying so repeating god's name with love with a faith that god and his name are not different i might not have realized god but i have the name i am repeating the name and when i repeat the name consciously with an alert mind my mind learns to dwell on the name with the name rather than with everything else that disturbs it so that's an important point to note there is nothing more purifying than knowledge than god the more we think of god the more we repeat the name not only during meditation but also during work the purer becomes the mind and swami vivekananda he comments on this aphorism on purity in the patanjali's yoga sutras swami vivekananda says you find this in his raja yoga internal and external purity being established arise disgust for one's own body and non intercourse with others of course you find it in the sutras itself in the yoga sutras itself you find this mentioned but swami vivekananda has slightly amplified it in his translation internal and external purity being established purity here means detachment from the body detachment from the mind and attachment to god thoughts of god 
So when that is established, disgust for my own body, disgust for pampering my body, for all the demands it makes on me, that arises. And when I detach myself from the body, there is no need for another body to satisfy me. So this is from the Yoga Sutras. Purity, internal purity, mental purity. So the closer we are to God, the purer we feel in body and mind. And for this to become possible, we need to be alert all the time. Alertness. Alertness and a keen power of observation. Alertness to the functioning of the mind. Detaching ourselves from the mind. Abiding as an entity different from the mind. Because right now, the Atman doesn't make much sense. Okay, the Atman is a Sanskrit word. But this much makes sense. I am different from this restless mind, which acts against my interests all the time. Our own mind is our enemy, our own mind is our friend, teaches Sri Krishna. So this mind has been acting as my enemy most of the time not letting me carry my resolutions into practice. I am not this mind. That makes sense. I am trying to do japa. The mind wants to do so many other things. But despite that, I persist in japa. Who is this I who persists? That entity which is different from the mind and the body. And Vedanta says that is buddhi. So we need to assert ourselves against this mind and the body all the time. And every time we assert ourselves against the mind, we should remember that we are growing in purity. Because we are with the Atman. We are essentially the Atman, but we are not aware of it. Because we are attached to the mind and body. But when we assert ourselves against the mind, we are attached only to the Atman to God. So this is an important point to keep in mind. All the struggle against the mind seems to be very demanding, unnerving sometimes. But we need to remember that we are not alone in the struggle. God is with us. The Atman is with us. We are Buddhi, energized by the Atman. There is nothing else. Because the buddhi detaches itself from the mind and everything outward from it. So that's a great inspiration for this inner struggle. Every time we struggle, every time we successfully practice japa and meditation, despite mental resistance, we need to know that we have lived with God during that time and we have grown in purity. Sri Ramakrishna says, one should repeat the name of God with this faith. I have repeated the name of God. How can I be weak anymore? How can I sin anymore? How can there be sin in me? That kind of a faith. There is nothing more purifying than God's name. God's name and God are not different. So when I repeat God's name, I am pure. 
So the bad side of my character, my undesirable past, can never touch me. That kind of a faith is important for a spiritual seeker. There is purity, purity of mind. And then we have contentment. Contentment. This needs to be reflected upon a little. Contentment can refer to adjustment with our environment. This is different from not struggling against nature. We need to struggle against nature. We need to assert ourselves. But when we have done that, when we have exerted ourselves, there are certain parameters outside which cannot be changed. We need to accept certain things. So that kind of an acceptance, after doing what is required on our part. So contentment refers to adjustment with our environment. Contentment refers to serenity under all conditions. Life is characterized by pairs of opposites. We have seen this a number of times. Happiness, misery, success, failure, profit, loss, praise, blame. So trying to have a sense of balance in the midst of all this, that is what Sri Krishna defines as yoga. Samatvam yoga uchyate. So this sense of balance is what is referred to as serenity. Trying not to react impulsively to situations, to other people. But trying to exercise discrimination and react in a way that is most beneficial. And we need to keep one more point in mind. That is contentment. It's not passivity. Struggle for well-being in our life and striving for contentment can both coexist in an individual. We can continue to struggle. In fact, Swami Vivekananda says, if a householder doesn't struggle for wealth, he is committing a sin. So we need to struggle for wealth and ensure that this wealth is earned in the right means, moral means. All that is all right. It's perfectly all right to struggle for well-being in the world. And we can also practice contentment at the same time. Both can coexist in the same individual. So enthusiasm and perseverance for well-being in life is required. After that, we need to be contented with whatever happens, whatever is feasible within our powers. We need to reflect on this, that contentment is not a tamasic quality. It's not born of inertia. It's not born of weakness. It's not born of lack of self-effort. We exercise our self-effort and try to grow more realistic. We accept what happens after we have exerted ourselves to our utmost. In essence, a spiritual seeker who practices contentment thinks, I am a child of God and 
it is unbecoming of me to run from pillar to post as a beggar. I have done my best. It's unbecoming of me to be anxious all the time about the outcome. Oh, what will happen to me? What will happen to me in the future? It's unbecoming of me. So he thinks, if I stick to the right path, if I stick to spiritual life, God himself would provide everything. That is what is the idea of contentment. Not just keeping quiet and not exerting ourselves, but doing our best. But keeping the mind clear of anxiety. The mind is ever ready, ever ready to burst into waves. Anxious about the outcome. Imaginary fears. So trying to keep the mind in leash is what is meant here. Doing our best and leaving the results to God. So that is contentment. So struggle for well-being in our life, struggle for prosperity, all within moral means, and contentment can be practiced by an individual. It's a spiritual practice, not easy. That's why it is called a spiritual practice. Because this is nothing short of struggling for our inner life, giving the mind an inward turn. And the next quality is austerity. Austerity is defined in the Mahabharata as concentration of the senses and the mind on the truth within. The mind and the senses get concentrated when they are pursuing some object outside, some sense object outside. That concentration is not what is meant. That is not austerity, tapas. But concentration of the senses, that means internalizing the senses and internalizing the mind also. That means the senses not having their individual identity but merging into the mind and the mind being turned inward toward the truth. That is true austerity. And this austerity is for our purification. Sri Krishna says, acts of sacrifice, acts of charity and acts of austerity ought not to be given up. They are to be practiced without being attached to the results because they purify the soul. That's a very important teaching we get from the Gita. So austerity is the next important discipline. And austerity, the Gita teaches, is of three kinds again. Austerity of the mind, austerity of speech, and austerity of Actions, austerity of the body. Some of the important austerities of the three kinds, we'll see some of those important things among this austerity of the body, of speech, and of the mind. One is austerity of the body is uprightness and continence that we have seen before, conserving our energy, nonviolence, and purity. Austerity of speech means speaking in a way that doesn't give offense to others, that doesn't agitate others. Others don't feel perturbed by your speech. Otherwise, just one word is enough to disturb the balance of a person because words are so powerful. So, having control over speech and ensuring that 
we don't say anything that can incite others anger and next is speaking the truth and then studies study of scriptures that will take up as the next discipline described by patanjali himself and then austerity of the mind serenity again serenity gentleness silence practicing silence means reducing the speech to minimum speaking only when necessary not thinking aloud but keeping our thoughts and actions reined in we don't need to give expression to every thought of ours so control of thought and self control that is also austerity of the mind swami turiyanand ji says in his letters thinking amounts to talking to ourselves when we think to ourselves that amounts to talking to ourselves it is much better to repeat god's name when we are alone letting the mind drift from one thing to another thinking of nothing in particular that's what the mind does the most unproductive the most weakening exercise ever we undergo all that because we give the luxury of this flitting to the mind so swami turiyanand ji says practicing silence silence is important at the mental level not just keeping our mouth shut and keep thinking of everything else inside so he says thinking when we think to ourselves think of nothing in particular think of some imaginary fear all that means talking to ourselves because we are we are the subject and everything else is the object i can think of him i can think of her i can think of some possible interaction with someone or something that has happened with someone else it is some kind of a conversation i have with myself so swami turiyanand ji says it's much better to repeat god's name than talking to ourselves in this unproductive way the next discipline that patanjali describes is study of scripture study of scriptures is an indispensable requirement for a spiritual seeker not for scholarship not for success in scholarly debates but to help us remind ourselves of the goal of life because in our everyday life the mind is exposed to so many things even in a passive way we can keep on gathering so much of dirt in our interaction with others why our spiritual practice diminishes in intensity that's because we don't keep the goal in front of us all the time so it helps to practice the study of scriptures study of scriptures include study of teachings of great ones who have realized the truth when we do it regularly we begin to reflect on what we have done what we are we begin to reflect on the ideal which is far away right now but we feel inspired by it so study of scriptures is required for a spiritual seeker to keep the mind on a higher plane not letting it drift wherever it wants but keeping it on a higher plane 
and reminding ourselves of the goal of life. That is the purpose of study of scriptures in a spiritual seeker's life. And the study, study of scriptures, in the original, it is only swadhyaya. Swadhyaya means study. We usually denote it to the study of scriptures, but it also means swadhyaya. Swadhyaya, it's made up of two words. Swa means me, it refers to I, it refers to me. Adhyaya, adhyayana means study. That means studying my own mind, introspecting. What are the primary inclinations in the mind, aptitude of the mind? Being introspective, being aware of the inclinations of the mind, studying the mind is also implied in this study. Study of scriptures. And then comes surrender to God. Patanjali considers these three as very important. Tapas, Swadhyaya, Ishwara Pranidhana. Tapas is austerity. Swadhyaya is study. And Ishwara Pranidhana is surrender to God. Surrender to God means not taking credit for ourselves, for whatever good happens in our life but trying to offer everything to God. The human tendency is to appropriate to ourselves any good that happens in our life, any greatness that we achieve. It's all because of my own self-effort. I deserved it. But if something bad happens, why should God be so cruel to me? I have not done anything bad to anyone. Why should God be so cruel to me? This is not just... That's a natural tendency of human mind, appropriating to ourselves anything that is good and anything that is bad, try to find out how to lay the blame on others. He was responsible, she was responsible, that particular environment was responsible. Or, if you don't find anything, God is responsible. But a spiritual seeker tries to offer everything to God, both success and failure, the fruits of his action all that to God and tries to grow in serenity, in that equipoise. So this surrender to God is important. And this complete surrender to God, not acting but letting God act, that is born of realization. Until then, self-effort and self-surrender go together. We do what needs to be done with our body, with our mind, with our intellect, without holding back anything, ungrudgingly, and then leave the results to God. Not easy. That is why it is spiritual practice. If it were easy, everyone would have practiced it, and everyone would be a spiritual seeker, and the whole world will realize God at one stroke. That doesn't happen. The Gita teaches, out of thousands of people, only a few strive for this perfection. And out of many such people who strive, only a few know me in reality. That is the spiritual economy of things. Why you don't have an answer? Instead of asking why, it's much better to struggle to belong to this minority who struggle among thousands of people. And it is good to drive home the point in the mind, having intense faith in ourselves, that 
I will be one of those minority who will realize the truth out of so many people who struggle. That is the attitude a spiritual seeker tries to cultivate. He doesn't grow pessimistic. Out of thousands of people, only one or two will struggle. And out of thousands of such people who struggle, only one or two will know God and reality. Not for me. That is the first stumbling block for a spiritual seeker. I belong to that microscopic minority. I will. I have God's grace. I have this inclination to think of higher things. This inclination to practice spiritual discipline. So by God's grace, I will realize the truth. I will be one of those few who will realize God in this life. That kind of an attitude. With that, we struggle. We practice self-effort and offer the results to God. That is self-surrender. So the points we discussed today. Our true nature is divine. And manifestation of this Potential divinity is the goal of life. And we saw that inner life means living the life of spirit. And struggle comes in when we try to give the mind an inward turn. A mind that is always outward oriented, trying to rein it in and give it an inward turn. That is where struggle comes in. And in the struggle, we saw some disciplines from Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, which can help us in manifesting more and more of this hidden divinity. And those disciplines we saw were non-violence, truthfulness, non-stealing, continence, not being greedy, or helplessly dependent on others. And then we saw purity, contentment, austerity, study, and self-surrender to God. Thank you.